Uh, Thursday breakfast um, on this Thursday, the 24th of May. Where has the year gone? Um, got a jam-packed show today. Good morning, Katia. Good morning. Good morning, Shares, and welcome Good back. Good morning. Oh, I'm happy to be back. Yeah, looking forward to a, a jam-packed show. But uh, before we get into that, I might uh, do the acknowledgement. Yes. 3CR would like to acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Boonarung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nations people in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. And now... What's on for the show? A uh, bit of a, a, a change in the uh, running order. We were meant to have Indy Clark at 7.15, the Executive Officer of the Koori Youth Council, but um, haven't been able to make contact. But we are going to, to listen to Matt Kunkel, who cut up with uh, Hazel, Hazel Nolan, who's the Britain's uh, General Union organiser, about the referendum, which is set for tomorrow, uh, where Ireland will vote um, to repeal some of Europe's strictest abortion laws. So this was huge on Dateline on uh, Tuesday night. I didn't, I watched it and I was quite, um, yeah, it was quite strange for me to, to see a country which has legalised first gay marriage so so quickly still have such strict, um, I'm not going to say misogynistic, but those yeah, strict they laws. Are, they're yeah. homosexual. <laughs> you can say that. <laughs> um, and then at 7.30, we'll have uh, Race Rage. Uh, they are an emerging politicute queer post-internet um, rapper based on Wurundjeri country. And at uh, 7.45, CEO of Anglicare Victoria and chair of a new national campaign which was launched um, two days ago. This is about extending the age of foster care from 18 to 21. Uh, and the economic and social benefits. It, 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 it seems like a, a, a really, really good plan, but there was a news story the other day that I was seeing that a 30-year-old was being sued by his parents because he refuses to move out of home. <laughs> so, you know, it's a fine line for parents who have their 35-, 40-year-old kids who are not paying rent, not wanting to move, and then obviously... um, But the social benefits, um, it shows that, new research shows that, um, yeah, my attitude will probably change once we speak to Paul. And then at eight, you've got Veronica Coleman talking to us some um, about you know the what's happening with West Papua's arrest for political activities. Uh, a couple of weeks back, we spoke to somebody on World Free Press Day regarding what was happening in West Papua as well. And then at eight fifteen, Friends of the Earth Quick Coal Collective will be talking to us about their road trip, which just finished last week. But that is going to be our show. I'll quickly go to a few mini announcements and we'll have a bit of a chat before we um, 
listen to the Irish referendum. 3CR Radiothon 2018, Fight for Your Mic. The 3CR annual Radiothon fundraiser is almost here. From June the 4th to the 17th, we're asking you to help us stay on air by making a generous donation. Any amount you can afford makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. To donate, call 039419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au 3CR Radiothon 2018 Fight for your mic The Green Left Weekly Comedy Debate is back We live in a time of crisis of impending doom and the fear of nuclear war but we still need to laugh This year, comedians will debate the very real question. Will Trump tweet us into oblivion? Join Master of Ceremonies Rod Quantock for a sparkling night of progressive comedy featuring Sean Bedlam, Pauline Fartz on Hellchild, Kirsty Mack, Gabe Hogan, Frank Hamster, Morvan Smith and more. Tickets are $50 Solidarity, $30 Regular, $22 Low Waged and $12 Concessions. There'll be a bar and the opportunity to buy a delicious dinner. Saturday, June 16, 6.30pm at the Brunswick Town Hall. Will Trump tweet us into oblivion? A fundraiser for the radical newspaper Green Left Weekly. Bookings are essential. Phone 9639 or go to trybooking.com forward slash VBYO. Green Left Weekly is a 3CR supporter. Come and see Bart Willoughby's album, Resonance. Live on June the 2nd at Fitzroy Town Hall. Doors open at 7pm and show starts at 7.30. Featuring all tracks from Bart Willoughby's latest album, Resonance, a combination of reggae, jazz, opera and Middle Eastern music in celebration of Reconciliation Week. Saturday, June the 2nd. Tickets available through tickyboo.com.au. Check out our Facebook page or website for further details. A 3CR supporter. We know you love us, we see our Radical Radio t-shirts, and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids, and come in black, white, grey, and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street, or order by phoning 9419-8377. Or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. Okay, we're back on 855 AM 3CR. Just thought, um, yeah, we could catch up on what's been happening in the world before we get to um, what's happening in Ireland. Yes. Yeah, so, um, well, I don't know. It's very, it, I suppose it affects um, us. Um, mm. So, um, as we know, another uh, person has died on Manus, a Rohingya refugee. Um, so I just wanted to just read a list of people who have died on Manus. 
um, or who have been murdered and forced to take their own lives um, or have died due to medical negligence or injuries suffered while forcibly detained <coughs> in Australia's uh, run detention centres on Manus and Nauru. Um, so the list is as follows. So Faisal, Hamid, Hamed, Jahangir, Kamil, Omid, Rakib, Reza, Rajiv, Sayed, and Selim. And that's only how many? F- around five? Sorry, no, because <laughs> no, uh, uh, sometimes a name oh. you know might have three names, yeah. Um, and that's probably. Oh, you only oh. just saying first names. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That was just well, and that's twelve names. too many, isn't it? Yeah. Like, and if you think about the big fight about um, closing down Manus Island. Uh, and the, the you know kids in detention having to to experience seeing that that the mothers who were there um, and people well, really that, being so, desperate. So Con, um, I forgot, I can't pronounce his uh, Karapanatitiadis <laughs> from the Australian Science Resource Centre. Um, uh, just tweeted um, last night that one of the team members of the centre rang to comfort the wife of Salim who died on Manus uh, yesterday um, only to discover she was the one breaking the news to the wife because um, the department hadn't run really her or her. anything yeah. that he had died. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, it's um, it's it's a not a very, very good situation that the government and, and I guess Australian people who are pro-refugees find themselves in because we're mm. doing a lot from this end, but it just seems to be to no avail to in terms of you know influencing Peter Dutton to make some changes or mm. the government to make any changes. Mm. But mm. you know we keep we keep pushing on and we obviously um, are looking forward to to a brighter future and a brighter prospect for some of those people and hopefully closing Manus Island. Mm. Yes. Well, I'm I'm just not very positive about that. No, yeah. Um, but the, you know, the way it's going and the way it's just um, seems to be getting uh, worse. For And it will stay like that for a while if we don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were saying, Katya, that um, there, there's closure of two hospitals as well recently. And you were talking about uh, the union. Ah, oh, the union, the hospitality union. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there, um, so there was an interesting Sorry, article. Sorry, hospitality, hospital, hosp- I got <laughs> also, a bit confused there. I was there. looking at you going, <laughs> did I talk about hospitals? Um, so there was a, an interesting article in the Overland. I'm just pulling it up if I can find it. But while I do that, it talked about uh, wage theft in the theft in the hospitality industry. Oh. So uh, it's rampant. And I think lots of people that have worked in hospitality and they're... Um, in the past or, in, mm. in, or currently, and I have been one of them in the past, knows just how severe wage theft is, is in the hospitality industry. So generally workers are paid, I mean international students, and I work with a lot of international students, are paid sometimes as low as $8 an mm. hour. Mm. Uh, in most cafes you're getting about $17, $18 an hour. So there's been a push to unionise the hospitality industry. Okay. Um, yeah. And there's a, uh, there's a lot that's been done by the Young Workers Centre around this issue, but also... There's a fairly new union that's run by uh, United Voice called yep. Hospo Voice, 
and so they're trying to campaign around these issues. Well, was that the one where the news broke recently? They were talking about getting millennials to join up for, like, I think it was $10 to be a member or something? Oh, that could be. Yeah. Or it could also be Young Worker Centre because they're doing a lot with young people, mm. particularly in hospitality. So for anyone that's interested, I've just pulled it up. It's called... Uh, it's in the Overland. It's from yesterday, the 23rd of May, and it's called Bad Hospitality, the Fight for Legal Wages in Cafes. And quite interesting... Um how do you sell the concept of unionism to young people who, you know, maybe might not have had a family member who might have been part of a union or might not really understand what the idea of a union also is? Also, people who have been um, who who have been forced into, I suppose, when I say that. Um, so what what we've seen now is more and more people have um, sort of casual and part-time jobs because there's less. Uh, you know, full-time uh, jobs. So um, people who have been forced into the industry or being forced to um, just accept low wages, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's working in hospitality, you often feel like you can't speak out because uh-huh. you're... Uh, because most hospitality or a lot of hospitality workers aren't on contracts. Mm. So they feel that if they do speak out, uh, your job is really insecure. So at any moment you could just be phased out of a workplace uh, because there's no legal document saying that you are actually even employed. employed. Yeah. So I think yeah. a lot of workers, while there are, um, they do definitely have rights uh, and to raise these at fair work and with their union they actually aren't aware that they can. Uh-huh. Yeah. And interesting, there was a story of a woman, I think, in her 50s who had always worked, um, I think she was a consultant, but she was never, ever full-time, and she talked about how she's got something like $10,000 in her super because she's never had, uh, like, a job that was recognised as, you know, part-time, full-time and super contributions. So it's a pretty worrying situation that the youth might find themselves in if you know, they don't sort of get to a point. I think we're all going to be in a situation mm. where no one wants to employ you. They just put you on a contract. Yeah. So yeah. much for those super contributions. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, let's go into, I guess, Matt Kunkel's story. Uh, tomorrow in Ireland there is a referendum, um, I guess, about taking action that would result in the repeal of Article 40.33 of the Irish Constitution, commonly referred to as the Eighth Amendment, allowing the Irish government to change the law on abortion, which is currently illegal unless a woman's life is at substantial risk. Um, Voting yes would repeal the amendment, while voting no would keep it in place. So the referendum is set for Friday, the 25th of May, and we'll decide that. Um, but can, you can only propose new laws allowing unrestricted terminations up to 12 weeks into the pregnancy. Stick together as Matt Kunkel caught up with uh, Hazel Nolan, Britain's general union organiser, to talk about this referendum. Joining me now is Hazel Nolan, a trade union organiser for the GMB. Thanks very much for joining us, Hazel. Thank you for having me on. Hazel, you're a trade union organiser in the UK, but you're originally from Ireland, where there is a large campaign at the moment to uh, amend the constitution or not around a woman's right to choose. Can you give us a bit of background on that? Yeah. Um, So Ireland has currently got um, some of the most restrictive abortion um, laws in the world uh, because in, uh, in the 1980s we had an amendment added to our constitution 
to say that the right to life for the unborn is equivalent to the right to life of the mother. And that was the case up until the 90s when we had an ex, um, what's called the X case, where a 15-year-old girl got um, raped by her uncle and was trying to travel to the UK in order to access an, um, abortion services. And the Irish state um, instructed the police force to arrest her and detain her in a jail cell. And it wasn't until she threatened to um, commit suicide um, that the Supreme Court ruled um, that the, you know, the, yeah, there's a right to life for the unborn child is the same as the mother, but it doesn't supersede the mother. And that, um, in, you know, grounds of suicide um, count. And so the mother's right life was in danger and therefore she was allowed to have an abortion. But at that time, she was only allowed to be released in order to travel to the UK to have one. And so we did have uh, a, a sort of right in the Constitution, an implied right that was never then legislated on. So um, 20 years later, we had a case where um, a woman um, who was an Indian um, healthcare worker um, died in hospital because um, she was pregnant and they wouldn't give her the proper uh, treatment she needed because they had wanted to protect uh, the life of her unborn child. And... Um, you know, we've also had cases where there have been women who have been uh, brain dead and the hospital won't turn off their life support machines because they are pregnant and they have to keep the fetus alive. And um, we've had people had to take cases against the Irish government to allow their their loved one to die. Uh, it's It's been really horrific. And this has been brought to a head recently. There's been... Um, a massive campaign called the Repeal Campaign, which is about taking the Eighth Amendment out of the Constitution. And that's why we're now having a a referendum on it on the 25th of May. And Hazel, what do women do if they need or want to terminate a pregnancy in Ireland? So you've got uh, two options if you want to terminate a pregnancy in Ireland. If you can afford it, you can travel to the United Kingdom and access private um clinics um, which will um, give you an abortion or you can um, if you find out in time you can um, order abortion pills and risk being jailed um, and have those posted to you or you could have a backstreet abortion um, which is horrific and none of those those options are ideal but I think the fact that we've got such a close proximity to the UK has allowed people to kind of um, bury their heads in the sand about the problem for so long. But it's only women who can afford to pay for flights and travel and accommodation and the cost of accessing an abortion um, because you, have to, you can't do it on the, NA, um, on the NHS because you're an Irish citizen. Um, that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's totally exclusive. And this and, would disproportionately um, affect the number of working class women and particularly women in rural areas that could... To, could make it to the UK. It's not easy getting around parts of rural Ireland, is it? No, no, not at all. Um, we, and we're a highly rural um, community, you know. So um, we've got just over four and a half million people living in Ireland and, uh, you know, about a million of them live in Dublin. Everyone else lives in a very rural um, environment. And uh, I come from a really rural background in, in West Cork. And, um, yeah, it was. it's... It's it's horrific. And the other thing as well is that there's no aftercare treatment, um, no counselling support services for women who've had abortions because they've committed an illegal act in the eyes of the state, um, albeit they've done it in a different jurisdiction. And 
and that's terrible because you know it's it's such a difficult decision for any woman to face and there's there's so much misinformation out there about um about it and um you know i mean 70% of schools in the Republic of Ireland are under Catholic ethos, even though they're state schools. Like the state, like I went to a local um, state convent, but that was just because it was the, the local school. And we didn't have sex education class until I was 17 years old, you know. Um, well, no, we did have one class when I was 14. When the teacher came in, wrote the word no on the blackboard and asked us if we had any questions. And uh, I wish I was joking about that, but I'm not. And uh, you know, a couple of years later, after two girls in my class had already become mothers, they decided to get an outside body to, to, to teach us, you know, and it's just, it's just ridiculous. And I'm just sick of seeing Ireland being embarrassed on the news because something else has happened where someone else, has, another woman has had to die or take the Irish state to the European Court of Human Rights in order to, you know, be allowed to do things, to do basic things. Um, you know, if, you, if you're a woman in Ireland and your fetus is pronounced dead inside your womb, you... Uh, you have to you, you have to carry to full term to, to full um to full full nine months. You know? You've got you've got women who really desperately do want to have a baby and you know, they get told by their doctor, unfortunately there's been, you know, um your 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 baby's developing with no brain and has zero chance of surviving outside the womb. And we force them through the indignity of having to carry that for nine months. It's shocking. You know, like it is, it's shocking. You hear about people who, in those cases, travel to the UK and then have an abortion. And, you know, these people, you know, it's not, it's not just, oh, well, like, you know, women who just, you know, frivolously decide that they're going to have an abortion. Like, that's, that's such a repugnant, sexist, um, misogynistic way to view what is an extremely difficult life choice for a woman. So, Hazel, how are the forces lining up on the yes and the no side of this particular referendum? Well... Uh, there has been a huge amount of influence from um, kind of the far right, actually, in this um, referendum. And um, I used to work for an anti-fascist organization called Hope Not Hate in the UK. And um, we were picking up on the fact that um, far right movements have been getting involved, especially um, through funding through some Irish diaspora groups in the States. Uh, you know, because they have this inherited sense of what Ireland is from from their parents, right? You know, who inherited from their parents, and they, you know, it's it's an Ireland of like the 1950s and earlier, and um, which kind of has a certain role for women in in the home and family life, and um, yeah, they uh, they've been funding um, pour, pouring a huge amount of funds into the into the no side. Um, the Catholic Church has been mobilising against it, and um, and all the conservative movements in Ireland have been. And then on the yes side, um, you have actually got a lot of young people who were inspired by our referendum a couple of years ago on um, equal marriage and, um, you know, the trade union movement and the kind of the, the Irish Labour Party and uh, Fianna Gael and um, like a, a lot of the left parties um, are all coming out in favour of a woman's right to choose and are on the on the yes side. But it's been a very polarising campaign. And how are the polls shaping up? Is there a leaning in one way or another? Yeah, so at the moment the polls show that there's a leaning towards the yes side, uh, but there's also a huge um, undecided vote out there. And our worry is that those undecideds, if they were pushed, um, would actually vote no, because there has been a bit of public momentum towards the yes campaign. And just because I think there's a general sense feeling out there that people feel that something has to be done. Um, 
And, uh, but, you know, if you're, if you still haven't indicated that you're a yes voter at this stage, then the likelihood is that you're probably a no voter. So whether or not those people turn out, you know, could completely swing um, the result either way. And the polls have been narrowing in the last few weeks. And is there any difference between urban areas and rural areas in terms of voting intentions? Yeah. So the vote looks like if it goes through, it's going to be carried through by urban voters. And um, that would mean it would look a lot more like the referendum that we had on divorce in 1995, which basically only went through very narrowly because um, Dublin voted in such heavy numbers um, in favour. And it looks like that might happen again. But I think there are urban centres outside of just Dublin that are are campaigning heavily for yes votes. So Cork, which is where um, I'm from, is the second largest metropolitan area. Um, areas like Galway um, and, and, and the cities that we have in in, in Ireland um, look like they might swing it. And actually, the yes campaign, one of the good things they did is they went on a huge voter registration drive um, in, a, in advance of the referendum being called. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that that's enough to, to swing it. So if the referendum repeals the Eighth Amendment and abortion becomes legal, are there further steps required in the legislature to actually provide access and legality for determination of pregnancies? Yeah, so I should point out that repealing the Eighth um, alone will not make abortion legal um, it would still have to be legislated so um, because it's there's a difference between um, repealing the current amendment and creating a new one that says there is a right to an abortion in the constitution and those are two separate things so they the campaign is just to get rid of the amendment that in itself um, won't make it legal what they'll have to do is the government has produced legislation um, that they said that if the if the vote if result is yes, that they would move to to implement, but that would still end up being a big campaign and a big vote that would have to happen in the Irish Parliament. And um, you know, it wasn't until a couple of years ago that they actually legislated for the X case, which I think I mentioned at the start of the interview. So we had that implied right in the constitution um, as a result of the Supreme Court decision on the X case in 1992. And it took 20 years to um, to actually put that in as legislation. Now, I'm hoping it won't take that long at all because the government has already published what it would have as um, legislation if the if the referendum um, is a yes vote. And uh, and but that would still need to happen. There's still needs to be a huge amount of negotiation with um, GPs um, about how uh, general practitioners and um, doctors about how that would work and how the system would work and how it would be funded. Um, so it's, it's still a lot, of, a lot of work to be done, um, even if the result is yes. But at least we're on the right trajectory if that happens. Hazel, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. And that was uh, Matt Kunkel um, who caught up with Hazel Nolan. Uh, the country, I guess, approved limited abortion for the first time in 2013 when the mother's life was at risk following the death of a woman in 2012 after she was denied a, a termination. Uh, if the referendum does not pass, it will remain illegal to get an abortion in other circumstances, such as uh, um, or, uh, rape or malformation of the fetus, and we should have done a content warning um, regarding this story. Um, and that I wasn't sure then uh, whether Hazel had mentioned, you know, there were certain groups who described themselves um, 
as being pro-life and they're protecting um, their their they're opposing any change to the Irish abortion law. So we've got, you know, what, maybe just a little over 36 hours. Um, I think Ireland's nine hours behind or something um, before it uh, happens. I, for one, hope that the uh, Irish people um, vote in the, in the right way and repeal the I Eighth just, Amendment. I wonder how much um, of these sort of things should be put to referendums when it's... Um, when. Uh, campaigns can be so easily manipulated. Um, but uh, uh, on... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard to really comment on, isn't it? Because yeah. it's... I was going to say something and yeah. I was like, oh, maybe it'll be a bit too defamatory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what we might do is we've got um, our next guest coming up uh, at around 7.30. Um, maybe you can just sort yeah. of talk, just tell us a little bit about who they are and then we'll play one of their tracks before, uh, it's called Black Girl Magic, before they come in. Yeah, so Race Rage is um, an emerging um, uh, politicute uh-huh, queer post-internet rapper based in Nam. Um, so their lyrics um, sort of focus on um, sort of... Uh, decolonisation, race issues um, and the queer bubble as well as um, f- struggles and frustrations um, and interweb memory of intersectional feminism um, So, which we'll, which we'll explore. Um, that will be quite, I'm really excited to talk to Race Rage. I've ac- actually seen them perform live um, and they're amazing. Um, so uh, without further ado, there's um, one, of, one of their tracks called Black Girl Magic. Hang on. That's coming up. <laughs> yeah, it is coming up. You know, it is, it is um, one of those things that happens with technology that uh, the sound quality doesn't carry through. But hey, black girl magic. Sweet are the fruit, but not for your consumption, but we're looking cute. This you can't dispute. Black girl magic, brown queens. White supremacist beauty has been. Black girl magic, brown queens. White supremacist beauty standards has been. If beauty ain't what we see, the concepts that I made. If beauty ain't what we are, the definition is gone, gone. It's gone, gone. The definition is gone, gone. If beauty ain't what we see. And it's gone, gone. 
gift and our kin. And that was Black Girl Magic. Um, we're still waiting for our guests to come in, but we've got a few of their tracks to come up. What I might go and do is um, play a couple of community announcements. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and wait for them to come in back in just a moment. 3CR has a brand new show coming very soon. It's called Dialogues, and it's a show where we discuss the big questions in life every Wednesday night at midnight for one hour. I'm Joe Raleigh. And I'm Meg Kimber. And we'll be your presenters. Each week, Joe and I talk with a new guest who has interesting insights about life. And we'll be covering topics like spirituality, creativity, digital technology, pets, comedy, families, mental health, and many, many more. Dialogues is a show for everyone, a community space to bring people together so if you're in the mood for deep meaningful stimulating and funny conversations then dialogues is the place for you so join us for some late night chats every wednesday night from midnight beginning on wednesday the 23rd of may you can go to 3cr.com.au slash dialogues or on facebook just search dialogues on 3cr for more details From a private life so public As the tabloids caught your tears Being photographed How sad, how tragic But it doesn't have to be that way On the Burning Vinyl Alternative Music Program Burning Vinyl, Fridays, 2 till 4pm On 3CR Located in the heart of Thornbury, the Islamic Museum of Australia showcases the cultural and artistic heritage of Australian Muslims. Don't miss our latest youth-based exhibition, Ways to be Muslim, and immerse yourself in a series of photographic portraits and unique personal narratives. This exhibition is hosted in partnership with Muslim Collective and the Victorian State Government and is showing until July 8th. Visit the museum website for more information. The Islamic Museum of Australia is a 3CR supporter. G'day, this is Jacob from Friday Ray. If the week's politics have left you wondering whether it's you or the rest of the planet that's gone completely and utterly bonkers, join us at 5 o'clock each and every Friday for a Friday Rave here on 3CR, where we'll do our best to reassure you that it is actually you, and us. A Friday Rave, bringing the 5 o'clock drinks debrief to you, here on Community Radio 3CR. Ah, Community Radio... Our uh, guest is on their way. So what we thought we might do is uh, try and see if we can get uh, Paul McDonald on the line to have a chat to us about um, Homestretch. Um, so we'll try and organise that and then we'll um, yeah, switch the show around. Um, as I mentioned, on Tuesday there was a, a launch of a national campaign to extend the age of foster care from 18 to 21. Um, talking really about the economic and social benefits, um, which, which the new research shows. So, um, 
as I mentioned, the media launch was on Tuesday and then they released the survey data around attitudes to extending foster care. And I guess I wanted to put the story out out there. So things like, um, here we go, I'm looking at the wrong piece of paper. Uh, you know, 76% of Victorians supporting change in the foster care system to extend the age of care from 18 to 21. Uh, nearly 70% of Victorians think that children in foster care should have the option to remain there until age 21. Um, so to find out a little bit more about what happened at the launch um, and what Homestretch is, as, as I mentioned, there, it's a national campaign to extend the age of foster care from 18 to 21 and some of the economic and social benefits. So to find out a little bit more, we are joined by the chair of Homestretch and CEO of Anglicare, Victoria Paul McDonald. Good morning, Paul. Oh, good morning. Good to be with you. Thanks for joining us a little bit earlier than planned on 3CR Thursday breakfast. No, earlier. It's, uh, yes, that's right. You know, all good. <laughs> it's always a pleasure having you on. Now, um, I was reading just the, the other day, and it's slightly different, um, that there was a, 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 a woman who was suing a 30-year-old son because he stayed home for too long. Um, yes. And then um, you had your launch on Tuesday about extending the age of foster care from 18 to 21. Um, well, if, I, if only we had that problem in state care. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, you know, for me, it's about those attitudes, isn't it? The, uh, uh, Victorians' attitudes towards foster care. Can you tell us a little bit about the idea behind Homestretch and what has surprised you about this new research? Yeah, sure. Look, um. Well, to take that case in the United States, just and bring it back to Australia, 85% of 18 to 21-year-olds are still with their natural parent. Mm. So they're still at home. Yet for the, the state's largest parent, if I could put it like that, the corporate parent, those under state care, those children in state care, every year, 800 of those young people who need to finish up their care and they age between 15 and 17. So the state's legislation says we will withdraw all support. That means we'll withdraw your caseworker, we'll withdraw reimbursements or payments to your foster care who's been looking after you, we'll withdraw all protection support before you turn 18. So we, we cannot provide that support after you're 18. Now, what we know is internationally, well, before I get to internationally, what we know when young people do leave care at this tender age, 50% may go on and do okay, but the other 50% within the first 12 months will be either homeless, unemployed, a new parent, or in prison within their first 12 months. And we know a third of those will have at least five different places of abode within the first 12 months. So we know that their homelessness is very high for this group. All we're asking is that the state continue the support to the foster carer, to the kinship carer, continue to provide a, the ability for a caseworker to continue to work and support that placement through to 21. And when we do do that, internationally it shows that we can halve the homeless rates and double their education, employment, attainment during those most important years, which is the 18, 19, 20 years. And, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head there. They're still children. You know, an 18-year-old, um, as you say, 50% of them might end up being homeless. Um, and, and, and asking for the government to actually come to the party based on what you've seen overseas, what, what would that sort of extended care look like, really? You know, good, Dean, and I'll just I'll, I'll highlight that point that you rightly said this to children. Look, when a 17-year-old when a goes to bed and wakes up in the morning 18, nothing much changes. They're still young. 
You know, they might be able to vote and have a legal glass of alcohol and might be able to drive if they can do their 120 hours of licence. They might be able to do that, but they're still a young person and they still need the care and support of adults. So what we're saying is if we introduced uh, continued or extended care, what it would look like is that the... Um, the state would continue to pay the reimbursements that it pays foster carers and kinship carers to look after these children on their behalf. They, those payments would continue through to 21, and they're only quite meagre. They're, you know, for for in in this state um, to look after a foster care child, just depending on you know the, there's several classifications, of course. But as the as the base rate, the general rate, it's about eight nine thousand dollars, and. Um, that those payments continue. The second thing we think is very important is that the child or the young person continues to have their casework. I mean, that that all gets severed. It's all over Rover. So what we want to see is that that young person continues to can have a mentor or you know a, a support worker assigned to them. And the third thing that we're seeking in this reform is that they're provided with some resources you know, some brokerage or what they say, some cash resources to enable them to access the education and employment um, opportunities that are out there. And the final thing I'll say to him, look, I had a young person at the launch and she came into care when she was one year old and she uh, left care, of course, be, she had to leave care before she was 18. And there's another young man who came into care 10 weeks old and had to leave care at 18. Both of these young people had been in care for 17 years, 17 and a mm. half years, got nothing. Once they turn nothing, no state privilege, no continuing on, nothing they, they got. And so they're out and on their own and they're still readjusting. I think we can be a more humane system in this state, follow the United States, United Kingdom, Europe, New Zealand, Canada, who have all done this and had some fantastic outcomes for young people and we do, do the same. And importantly, Tasmania, to their wisdom, leading up to the state election down there, have agreed to extend care to 21 and in South Australia, leading up to their election, had agreed to pay foster carers and kinship carers through to 21. So, a Victorian election coming on, Dean, we're calling on both uh, leaders of the major parties to support this reform, to say, yes, we'll continue to support the foster care and kinship care placement through to 21 until these young people are ready to go, not based on their birthday. And I think, um, you know, the, the, that uh, attitudinal survey asking Victorians if they would support the change, you had some really, really good results. And I'm guessing from what you're saying about young people, you know, with most of them ending up homeless or in prison, there's a, there's, there's a great financial benefit to the state too by contributing, whether it is at 9,000, compared to, you know, the justice, the legal system and the health implications of somebody who's homeless and young and imprisonment. Well, that's right. Look, we got we commissioned through uh, the kindness of philanthropy. We commissioned the top end of town, Deloitte Access Economics, to do the numbers to say if we extended care, what would be the state return, the economic return? You know, we've got the moral argument, we've got the parental argument, but what's the economic argument? And they found that for every one dollar spent to extend the care placement, the state government of Victoria would receive a return of two dollars fifty four back because of those savings that you outlined. Mm. And when we got a survey going on, which we released, uh, which we, um, a polling survey, and we're trying to talk the language of politicians by commissioning this polling survey, again through philanthropy, who are really supporting our campaign, three out of four Victorians want to see care extended. And when you run that along party lines, you know, 
ask the Labor voters, ask the Liberal voters. Well, Reachtel did that. And again, three out of four Liberal voters, three out of four Labor voters want to see extended care through to 21. So I don't know what other excuse a government needs not to do it. I think it all, it all sits in front of them as a no-brainer. And you mentioned with the uh, state election coming up, just a, a final point for all of our listeners, you know, where, where can I sign up to show my support and make sure that uh, uh, Daniel Andrews and his uh, friends get their act together? Yeah, good question. Well, of course, we've got a website and sign up for, uh, and you can become a, um, uh, register your name there and you'll get our newsletters and activities of what's happening with Homestretch. But more importantly, more importantly, the decision makers in this state to extend care are the politicians. So I invite your fantastic 3CR listeners to write that letter to say to the Premier, to uh, Mr Guy, and say, will you extend the care placement and support that care placement until a young person's ready to go past 18 for children in state care? That's what we're asking the state government to sign up to. And that's, uh, uh, what is it, uh, the homestretch.org.au, and people yes, can uh, right. find out a bit more about that. But, uh, Paul, we... Appreciate you, um, yeah, joining us on 3CR Thursday Breakfast and, uh, keep up the good work. Good to be with you again, Dean. Thanks. Thank you, Paul. And that was, um, Paul McDonald, the, um, chair of, um, Homestretch. And it was, um, it's quite interesting because I know, uh, I think it would have been over a month or so. No, it was longer than that. Um, there was a petition by, I think, mckillop.org, um, and they were talking, and it was uh, more foster carers were needed. They, they put a call out for people to become foster carers. So interestingly, this is talking about extending um, foster care from 18 to 21, but, you know, hopefully um, we can still get more foster carers involved because there's a shortage of foster carers. Not a, you know, a lot of people think that their time, they don't have time, but it wouldn't be... Um, if you if you're if you're alone, it might be something that you'd like to do, or if you have ever thought you wanted to, you know, have a child and you couldn't, might be something to do to get involved with an organisation that, yeah, helps um, other people. He mentioned a story of a ten-week-old being in foster care up until they're seventeen. It's hard to imagine coming from a from a home that, you know, like you might have lived your whole life in foster care system. Yeah, and a lot of people, a lot of young people in foster care also have a really high rates of. Um, incarceration as well and so it's I think it's a really great idea to extend the age mm. because often young people do need support uh, up until their early 20s and also I mean if you look at um, juvenile prisons as well they do allow uh, people above the age of 18 to actually not transition into adult prisons so I guess if I mean I don't believe that young people should be in prison at all but I yeah. guess when we're looking at that system if we've got one system that says young people can be um uh, looked, know, after. Pe- looked after. Yeah. Well, looked after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say looked after, well, but, okay. but up yeah. until 21. Yeah. And then if the foster care system says, no, when you're 18, you're out on your own. So I think there's really huge indiscrepancies of what's going on there. And the other one is oh. a debate around increasing the alcohol drinking age as well from 18 to 21. It's just like, well, yeah. where, where do your priorities lie? Especially yeah. when you hear stories like that about um, young kids who are, yeah, have been in the system for so long. All right, we'll go to a community announcement and we'll be back in just a moment. Tune in, dig deep 
and clean up by purchasing some fantastic discounted gardening books from 3CR's online garden store. We have books on water-wise gardening, organic vegetables, roses, climbers and creepers and even clematis. It's easy. Just go to our website, 3cr.org.au, and follow the links on the front page. Don't have internet access? Call the station during business hours between 9 and 5, and we'll post out a catalogue in the mail. All proceeds help keep Melbourne's favourite gardening show on air for another year. Tune in 7.30am every Sunday morning. Remember, Nanox is a special day for us, brothers. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. Happy Nadoff! Okay, and welcome back. And now we've got Race Rage in the studio. Welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> no, no, you're more than welcome. So, um, how did Race Rage come to be? Um, so basically, um, like I had been doing uh, spoken word for quite a while, quite a few years, um, and a lot, most of my sort of poetry and writing really concentrated on issues around race. Um, and yeah, I'm sort of the first kind of I guess musical performance stuff I'd done was really just like parody songs. Um, I had a, I did a song with a friend of mine about um, everyone always saying I look like Rihanna and I kind of really don't. Um, so that was sort of like, that was kind of around about like 2012, 2014. And then, yeah, I never really did much um, like musical performance until I started doing um, like backup vocals for my best friend's um, project, Katie Spit. And that kind of gave me a bit more confidence to be like, ah, oh, okay, maybe I can sing. And then um, I thought I'd sort of channel my writing more into rap. And yeah, I guess I was really consciously wanting to um, to do hip hop and to collaborate um, primarily, well, it was supposed to be only with other artists of colour, which actually has proven way more challenging than I ever anticipated. So yes. I've ended up like not really keeping to that, but still, I guess, trying to prioritise um, creating those connections and trying mm. to, because I, I, I can't make beats myself, so trying to, um, yeah, use beats from artists who I'm politically aligned with and, yeah, try and say important messages. 
Yeah, so you, so you just mentioned that it was quite difficult to collaborate with yeah. uh, colour. So do you want to elaborate there? Um, I mean, I guess I'm not the most social person in the world, so that's maybe my experience is different from, from others. But I guess, um, yeah, I guess I was kind of looking within, within my small queer bubble. Um, and I guess kind of thinking about it, maybe it's the fact that like trying to collaborate with people that maybe have less resources and less time than a lot of uh, white folks who I know like I I kind of um, my process would generally be I would like you know get inspired and and write like a chunk of of music and be really excited like not music um, lyrics and be really excited about it and then kind of go onto online spaces um, like cutie pop groups and things like that and be like hey like do any beat makers have any beats that they'd be wanting to collaborate or share um and I kind of like, you know, be putting a lot out there and wouldn't often get that many responses back. Um, Yum God actually is someone who was really amazing and I have collaborated a lot with, um, and Black Girl Magic that you played before, um, he produced that. That was his beats. Um, but yeah, I kind of tended to have a lot of like white musician friends that would be like, oh, like I have all these or like, yeah, like just kind of would be really generous. And yeah, I guess thinking about it, I kind of was like, okay, I guess people that maybe have a little bit more privilege do have more leisure time to kind of maybe be able to focus on like a whole bunch of side projects aside from their primary musical projects or I don't know that's just a theory of mine. (laughs) And maybe the political alignments tend to work on that level too because if you don't have the financial freedom or even the time it's sometimes very very hard to express yourself in that way they've chosen Mm. the beats and the music to express themselves so to sort of yeah it might have made it a bit difficult yeah for some groups as well i feel like white guilt has also been a large (laughs) thing of it (laughs) of white people are like i'm so sorry yeah which 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 is great because there are we we were talking before about like even the issue with refugees so a lot of people here want to help yeah absolutely and that's that's not at all to shade the people i've collaborated with who i have so much love for but yeah but it's a thing (laughs) it is a thing um so um you sort of described yourself as sort of like post-internet rapper what do you mean by that (laughs) so um it's funny um that kind of phrase came to mind because i was like i don't know anything about music what is my genre and i was talking to um katie from katie spit um about like what the hell to call myself (laughs) and we had this conversation because she's like i don't know like a social media musical genius and who gets all these things that i just am like have no idea about but we kind of had a conversation about like she suggested that phrase and I was like that sounds super cool but what does that mean and she was sort of saying well I guess um the fact that like the context that you're operating in is that like kind of existing in a time where all of your music's being created like drawing on I guess I draw on a lot of internet references for sort of like um wordplay that I use in my lyrics and also just the way that I'm creating music is basically completely online. I'm going into online spaces and like asking artists to collaborate. I'm getting sent tracks online. Um, like I then put my music up online, like everything I kind of do, I totally rely on the internet for. And it's a really different um, musical space. And I guess previously where people would, I guess be, I don't know, maybe handing out physical flyers and, I don't, like I am playing live music and going to gigs and supporting other artists and making connections that way, but pretty much all the opportunities I tend to get 
are coming to me through like internet sort of thing. So yeah, I thought that phrase kind of worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. Um, and yeah, so just before we heard um, Black um, Girl Magic. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to ask, like, what inspired you with that track? Yeah, so that that's kind of one of my favourite tracks that I've actually written. Um, it was it was sort of like a a track that was intended to be like a declaration of love and a passing down of wisdom to um, one of my sisters. Well, I love both my sisters, of course, but to um, my sister who is also black, um, and it's like I guess. I saw them going through a whole bunch of body image issues, going through a whole bunch of issues, like, I guess, becoming, like, a a young person, becoming a teenager um, in the world as, like, a mixed-race black person and coming up against, I guess, a lack of visibility, a lack of feeling like you adhere to white beauty standards and, and what that means. And I really wanted to, I guess to package the the wisdom and the knowledge that I've sort of picked up along the way after struggling through all the exact same things and talk about, um, like, the skin that we're in as as biracial um, black First Nations people, the things that, like, we might, you know, feel sensitive about in terms of our features are actually the physical manifestation of our ancestors and that's really incredible and that's really beautiful and if the way that you think about beauty doesn't hold space for that and doesn't honour that, then what is the point of it? If Yeah, I have this um, quote in my bathroom that I'm not really sure where it's from, but oh, I can't remember exactly what it says, but it says um, something about, like, like, if beauty isn't what we ourselves are, then, like, what's the use for it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I tried to, I guess, phrase that in a way that felt natural to me and write a song about that, yeah, that mm-hmm. would be at all. It's great. It's a, we heard it was a great track, and yeah. the way you described what you were trying to achieve with it captures, you know, a sense of, um, I guess, feeling. You know, I've got a daughter who I find she probably goes through the same. Like we did her yeah. hair the other day, mm. and got to school and she took it out because yeah. she's sick of people saying, "Oh, what wonderful hair you've got," and that's her yeah. main focus that people yeah. do. So Absolutely. it starts quite early, and for you to see that within a younger sibling, yeah. and right, and as you said, you love both your sisters, but this one was the one that sort of um, was your muse towards writing a song yeah. to give her that. Well, especially in, you know, such a white supremacist context. Like, mm. so, you know, you're told, like, from a young age, like, that the sort of acceptability and the norm is is white, you know. Yeah, So, absolutely. like, you know, especially when it comes to, like, hair and that yeah. sort of thing. Mm. So little whole, things that you take for granted as yeah. a person. But, mm. yeah. well, and also there's a whole thing about hair. Like, I remember yeah. my aunt doing doing my hair when I was a kid, like braiding my hair and stuff. And, mm. like, yeah, it's just – and then you get these sort of, like, weird comments to people people that just don't get it, you know? And yeah. it's mm. People across the street. Yeah. Like, old yeah. people. They yeah. don't touch you and you're like, yeah. Yeah, like, don't touch me. Get your hands <laughs> totally. on me. Yeah, anyway. Um, so, um, so what we'll do is um, we'll play a bit of Burn. Bit of burn. Um, so we can talk is, while it's starting. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this is a track that's actually um, part of a musical. He was in the custody of senior sergeant There was a fall. Was uh, what they call compressive force. 
was a bit about, um, that was um, a bit Burn. from Burn. <laughs> um, so that's part of um, a hip-hop musical called The Change, which tomorrow you're having a fundraiser for. But yeah. did you want to tell us a bit about The Change? Absolutely, yeah. Um, that track was yeah, a collaboration with Izzy Brown from Combat Wombat. And it's part of like one of the most incredible, nourishing, like important community projects I've ever been part of. Um, it's like a really political um, radical uh, hip-hop theatre musical production that is a coming together of a whole bunch of different um, people from all different communities um, creating this sort of um, story-sharing um, narrative that's set kind of in this like post-apocalyptic future with like a whole bunch of sort of little kids sitting around this um, campfire talking about um, the past and their ancestors and the struggles that brought them to like this present day kind of utopian dystopian I'm not really sure like future um and the stories that we're kind of acting out is all different scenes um that is played by people mainly from those communities so um I mean I'm not from Palm Island but I'm indigenous and so I'm playing Kylie Dimaggi um the activist and sister of um Morenji Dimaggi who was um murdered in custody um that sparked the Palm Island riots um so I'm in a scene about that and also a scene with um, Uncle Robbie Thorpe and Annie Viv Mallow um, of, like, the um, Aboriginal Tent Embassy. Then there's also scenes um, with um, the West Papuan community talking about their struggle, um, about their experience of massacre in Indonesia and coming over here in the flotilla. They've um, actually built a, um, like replica canoe that is in the same style as the canoe that they came over in and there's a whole bunch of like elders and kids from the community doing traditional dance and songs as well it's a really powerful scene um then there's also um like some kenyan young people um doing a scene about their refugee experience and another scene about um other refugee experiences and it all sort of comes to... We've had two different sort of manifestations of what we've done with it. The first was sort of a smaller showcase and the second was more of an interactive um, show that we did at the underground car park where it's, the fundraiser is going to be held, where the um, audience kind of did this, like, walk through 
um, and kind of had this experience of going through border security that replicated what some of the refugees in the production had experienced. Um, and yeah, all this, it's kind of like this really cool hip hop musical with all different ages, all different communities. Um, yeah, telling their own like stories. Um, there's also like the vocal boogie choir, um, which is like a choir of like older people that um, meet at Collingwood Neighbourhood House and the Neighbourhood House Band and so it's just like this mishmash of all different people collaborating um, in this incredible way that I've felt really honoured to be part of um, and so we're looking at um, evolving it further and taking it to Fringe this year so we're going to be holding a fundraiser on Friday at the Collingwood Underground Car Park um, which is 44 Harmsworth Street just opposite the church near the Towers and there's going to be um, West Papuan and Indian food served, a bar, it's free entry, it's wheelchair accessible and all ages are welcome. And we're going to have a whole bunch of people that have taken part in it, cast and crew, are creating visual art. So we'll have an exhibition um, and then an art auction to raise money. And also, um, yeah, uh, some new songs that we're going to be putting in the show we'll be showcasing and it should be a really good night. So if people want to come down to that, that would be awesome. It'll be 6 till 9 p.m. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I suppose um, I, I think I already like sort of like alluded <laughs> to this question. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, so I suppose rap is, you know, as, as you've just sort of just described it, you know, it's always been political mm. um, and, uh, and, and that's your sort of focus, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I've heard, like, in the music industry and, uh, yeah, uh, talking to people and that sort of stuff, um, that there's a lot of um, tokenism. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely been my experience. Um, Yeah, I feel like it's a really interesting time, especially the the sort of communities um, bubble that I tend to perform in, which is in the queer scene, like, I guess, the more sort of politically-minded queer scene where people are trying really hard to be inclusive and, like to work towards having diverse spaces and prioritising people of colour nowadays. But I feel like, yeah, it, it is maybe not at, at the point that I would love it to be. So I feel like there is a lot of a kind of tick box mindset that, especially when I was first starting out, I would find myself playing shows that just made absolutely no sense. I'd be like on an all-white lineup of, like, metal and noise bands and then me. <laughs> and I'd be like, all around, like, okay, cool, you, you needed a black one, yeah. <laughs> and just, like, yeah, really bizarre situations, like being asked to DJ at an all-white, like, squat party and I'm like, I don't DJ. I'm not a DJ. They're being like, oh, just, just throw something together, oh, it'll be fine. God. Like, literally just trying to make sure that they had, you know, a person with a disability, like a non-binary person, a black person on the lineup, and I'm super convenient because I, you know, fit so many <laughs> oppression boxes that I'm kind of just like, yeah, I would find myself just in situations where it was so obvious that it had nothing to do with the merit of my music, um, which is actually really hard, especially when I was starting out. I would, I've kind of found myself in a really strange situation where, like, I only had like two tracks. And as soon as people heard that I was doing music, I was just like being, all these people were like trying to put me on lineups before. And I knew they didn't know at all what I did. They'd Mm. never seen me play. They had no idea. And I was completely just there because of my attributes as someone that, you know, could make their lineup diverse. So I feel like now 
that I kind of have been around the block a bit. I've been playing for quite a few years now that I kind of can can see that um, mm-hmm. and kind of, yeah, can address that a little bit more and have a little bit more room to think about whether I'm going to come away from an opportunity feeling quite gross and like, oh, uh, that, that was for like a yuck reason or whether it's actually going to be something that I'm also going to get something out of or that is going to be like a worthwhile thing for me to take part in. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Owning your own performance. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I suppose we'll just, oh, we have to sort of wrap it up, but like, so you've got a performance tonight. This Arvo, yeah, yeah, I do. I'm going to be I'm thanks, a really busy thanks day. For, thanks for coming to join us <laughs> no, on the breakfast show. It's all right. <laughs> but it's all good. Um, yeah, 3 till 4 p.m. Um, in a space, Collingwood Co-Health on Johnson Street are having a flag-raising ceremony um, for the start of Reconciliation Week. So I'm not sure who the elder is, but there's going to be a welcome um, to country and... Um, also um, some like sharing of yarns with the elder and then um, I'm going to be performing about 3.30 I think Um, yeah so that's going to be fun and then next Tuesday I'm also playing quite early in the morning Um, the events apparently starts at 9.30 but I don't think music will be on till 11 at Billabong Brekkie down at the Harmsworth Street um, Reserve opposite the church so it's going to be a catered brekkie um that's usually on on tuesday mornings um but after that there's going to be i think hopefully a fire weather permitting and a bunch of um local um aboriginal artists are going to be performing down there so yeah get along to that too reconciliation week starts this sunday yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. thank you so much for coming on um and take out with diamonds and sapphires sapphires. yeah thanks so much for having me thank you (laughs) for coming in Our pleasure. The song is coming. I'm just letting it build up a bit. <laughs> um, oh, did you want to just, as it builds up, um, tell us a bit about it in like two sentences? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a song that I wrote when I was in a really kind of dark space and it's about overcoming, I guess, um, the challenges in your life and trying to draw strength from that and draw lessons from that and turn it into creative energy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yet How I might turn like an Antifa soldier I just told ya, babe, what's your space Determined to be and I pick up my pace These track marks and stars will start to erase the thoughts of reminiscing about these dark days, yo One, two, one, two So tell me what you know about climbing out this sinkhole Unforeseen disaster, let my 
Support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Donate now by calling 9419 8377 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. VCR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. G'day, this is Jacob from Friday Ray. If the week's politics have left you wondering whether it's you or the rest of the planet that's gone completely and utterly bonkers, join us at 5 o'clock each and every Friday for a Friday rave here on 3CR, where we'll do our best to reassure you that it is actually you, and us. A Friday rave, bringing the 5 o'clock drinks debrief to you, here on Community Radio 3CR. The Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is continuing its Stop Failing Our Kids campaign until this year's Victorian state election. We're asking people to sign an online petition and to send postcards to Premier Daniel Andrews, calling for his government to abandon plans to build a $288 million youth prison at Cherry Creek. We want that money directed to culturally appropriate programs to address the underpinning issues rather than incarcerating children. For more information and to sign the petition, visit Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Postcards are available at 3CR and locations listed at istramelbourne.com. Premier, it's time your government stopped failing the kids. Istra Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Okay, so um, West Papua has been the site of an independence struggle for several decades. Uh, separatist groups have long fought for independence from Indonesia uh, which they have repeatedly accused of human rights violations, including widespread violence, mass arrests and killings. So uh, Indonesia invaded. So um, in the 50s, um, just after independence of Indonesia in 1945, um, West Papua uh, was uh, preparing for independence um, 
And the, then in the, in, in the 60s, in the early 60s, Indonesia um, invaded. Um, the Indonesian military invaded the area. It's called, um, it's locally called Trikora. Um, and Indonesia's so-called annexation of West Papua was formalized in 69 by the UN's supervised vote, which has been um, criticized as an undemocratic process. So um, uh, this t- tonight at Trades Hall, um, there's uh, an event um, which will showcase a range of West Papuan voices um, and it starts at about I'm just I'm just grabbing the details, just bear with me. Um And we had a few weeks ago we had um Alpheus on this on the show talking about what was going on in the West Papuan campaign in Perth as well. So it's uh, Free West Papua is a global campaign that's been going on for a long time and I think Shez now has the details of what's happening tonight. Yeah, so it's called uh, Let's Talk About West Papua Um, and it's looking at how the Australian government is complicit in aiding the Indonesian police and and, and military um, in in the occupation. Um, So it starts at 6pm at the Victorian Trades Hall Council, um, so on 54 Victoria Street in Carlton. Um, And if you go um, on Facebook, um, there are the details. Um, So it's just called Let's Talk About West Papua. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. Over the weekend of May the 11th to May the 18th, Friends of the Earth and Energy Justice Victoria held an Energy Justice road trip. It was a fun and educational weekend that travelled throughout East Gippsland. Talking about the Energy Justice road trip and also the, uh, the new campaign Energy Justice Victoria, we've got Ziana Fuad. Ziana is the coordinator of Quick Coal Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne and has volunteered with Quick Coal for five years throughout the Gasfield Free campaign and is now working with the collective for the new campaign, Energy Justice Victoria. Welcome, Ziana. Thank you. So do you want to start telling us about the weekend? So what happened over May the 11th to 13th? Yeah, so we wanted to um, create a weekend where we would go throughout Gippsland through some key communities that are affected by the way our energy system is designed and basically just have a listening tour, just connecting um, with people in the Latrobe Valley. So we first visited the Earthworker factory, um, which is the first worker-owned factory in Victoria, trying to make renewable manufacturing parts. And then we connected with some other like local activists and ex-coal workers in the valley to have like a casual Q&A, listening to, you know, their journey from the kind of brown coal economy to the green economy and their views on the vision for the valley. And then the next day we went um, to around Monthaggy, where they're putting renewable energy into the old state coal mine. And then we finished off with a community forum in Monthaggy. Um, trying to talk about issues around energy poverty and renewable energy in the area to um, try and give people like alternatives um, around energy efficiency in their homes but also trying to like collect more stories for our vision of how we want our new energy system to look for the 21st century. So it it would have been really interesting because you said that you talked to some uh, former coal workers 
Um, and I guess people that would have been involved previously in industries that were um, very resource intensive, but you said now potentially working in activist spaces, is that correct? Or they've just sort of um, got different views on what's going on with energy use in Victoria? So how, how did that go about? Yeah, I think that's what we all really took from the weekend was like the realisation that people within the communities are very aware of like the kind of lifeline of coal and that, that it's ending and the kind of recognition that from when they first got in, into the industry maybe 10 or 20 years ago, they knew that it was ending. And so um, they really talked about the ripples from the privatisation of the energy system and what a huge impact that's had on the community and how with the end of the kind of State Electricity Commission, it became the end of a vision as a community and then it became, you know, private. So there was profit-based and short-term goals. And so they're really keen to, like, breathe life back into the community by, like, planning into the future again. And that's like through community projects and community renewable energy projects. And um, there's so much going on. It's so inspiring to see that the community knows what's best for them, of course. And it kind of made it clear that a lot of the barriers are political. That was Ziana Fouad speaking from Friends of the Earth Melbourne, uh, part of the Quick Coal Collective. We're going to listen to the second part of that interview next week because we have another guest on the line right now. Yeah, so we've got Veronica Komen, um, who's a public interest lawyer at the Jakarta Legal Aid Institute, and she provides legal representations for many West Papuans arrested for uh, political uh, activities. Um, so good morning, Veronica. Hi, good morning. Hi, thank you for joining us. Um, so firstly, could you tell us a bit about the organisation you work with and the work you do? Um Yep, so about that, I need to clarify something that um, I no longer work at the Institute. As oh, I am now pursuing my Master of Laws at the ANU. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, so I'm a human rights lawyer. I'm an Indonesian human rights lawyer who is also a member of International Lawyers for West Papua. Okay, um, and so... Uh, I suppose, can you just give us a bit of uh, a bit of a, a, br- a brief um, uh, sort of history of, of, of what's and 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 uh, of what's going on in West Papua at the minute as well? Yeah. So currently, the um, there's a change of trend of political prisoners in West Papua, but according to lots of West Papuans that I've been speaking to, they are now not in small prison but they are all in big prisons. That's exactly how they describe it. So they, uh, West Papuans, cannot speak. It's like um, either uh, their letter of notification of, to the police of uh, protest uh, rejected, or they, when they do peaceful protest, they will all get arrested, like all of them mass arrest. That's why in 2016 alone, just in one year alone, there were 5,106 arrests uh, against West Papuan people over peaceful protests. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, this, that's just the, uh, just the uh, civil and political rights aspects. While uh, we could see like really massive deforestation right now, there, there's traditional, like lots of land grabbing and just um, their, their traditional land now. 
now substituted by palm oil plantations. So mm-hmm. it's really, I, as a human rights lawyer, I, I honestly, I cannot think of one single human right that is not violated in West Papua right now. Mm. And, and recently, Greenpeace has actually blasted um, the palm oil industry for the deforestation uh, going exactly. on in West Papua. Yeah, uh, the, it was a palm oil supplier to Mars, Nestle, PepsiCo and Unilever, um, if I remember correctly. Um, and so there was a pro-independence petition signed um, by 1.8 million West Papuans. Um, and it was smuggled out of the region late last year and delivered to the United Nations. Um, but it was d- dismissed by the decolonisation committee. Um, could you tell us a bit a, a bit about that? I don't think I'm in the position to talk about that because I am very aware of my uh, my position of mm-hmm. being an Indonesian, mm-hmm. and I believe that should be answered by a West Papuan. Okay. Yeah. No, sure. Um, and so um, the event tonight is talking about Australia's complicity in um, s- sort of aiding um, the Indonesian police and, and, and military. Um, so I suppose um, since the 2006 Lombok Treaty, um, the Australian, uh, where the Australian Howard government signed the treaty to agree to stay out of uh, local Indonesian affairs, I suppose, uh, you know, what's sort of Australia's role in this sort of West Papuan uh, occupation? Um, I think that uh, throughout, even even during the uh, the the 60s, where the uh, sham uh, plebiscite in West Papua happened, Australia already was already complicit in the denial of the right to self determination of West Papuan people. And I believe that um, although there's a uh, treaty between two countries, namely the Lombok Treaty, but human rights situation it um under international law it has um like the uh the, the hierarchy of this norm is much higher than um than just a treaty you know just like uh so lombok treaty is about territorial integrity principle which is recognized under the un charter but the right to self-determination is actually a, a super norm under international law. It's called jus cogens. It means that no other right can supersede this right. And it is also a norm of uh, erga omnes. It means that it has a uh, universal jurisdiction that uh, this is everyone's business. This is the matter of, of every state, every person to uh, to like have the obligation to make sure that this right is uh, fulfilled, upheld. And um, I think that it has much more urgent sense that um, uh, Australia is not, I mean, like the, 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 the territorial integrity contained in Lombok Treaty is um, like has lower rank, if you like, mm. <laughs> under, under international law than the, yeah, the, the higher human rights. No. Mm. Mm. Um, and so, sort of, um, we're going to have to r- wrap things up um, a, a very soon, or probably now. Um, um, but I suppose, can you just uh, wrap up by um, giving us a bit more information about um, the Let's Talk About West Papua event tonight in yeah, Melbourne? So, yeah, so we, we are going to present um, how uh, we, we want to show how systematic the racism 
of um, in uh, against West Papua under Indonesian regime that um, the uh, the violence and particularly shootings by Indonesian security forces are so easily uh, occurred, uh, which that uh, like the 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 fundings the uh, like the training by these brutal Indonesian security forces was actually funded by Australian taxpayers' money. So this is of uh, uh, matters of all Australians, actually, of what's going on in West Papua. Uh, Veronica, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we'd love to have you back on to go a bit more in depth with uh, what's going on in West Papua. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so that was Veronica Komen, who's now um, at the ANU, um, and uh, she was previously a public interest lawyer um, at the Jakarta Legal Aid Institute, um, providing um, support uh, to uh, West Papuans um, who were arrested for political activities. Um, and I think that's we have to wrap up the show. Yes, jam-packed we, show. Yeah, uh, 7:15. <laughs> we talked about the referendum tomorrow re- relating to the Irish um, abortion, which they vote on tomorrow. We had race car. They came into the studio. Race rage. <laughs> race rage. <laughs> I'm the only the only male in here talking about cars. Race car. That's race rage. Sorry, I that's terrible. For that. I can't believe you just said I, that. I read. As well. I read race. I like cars okay. too, and I'm yeah. not male. Uh, <laughs> Paul McDonald, CEO of Anglican Chair of Homestretch. Uh, go to um, 3cr.org.au forward slash Thursday breakfast and you will see who we had on. Thank you once again. We'll be Thank back you. next week yes. with hopefully a Reconciliation Week jam-packed show. Yeah. If yes. we can get our act together. But, uh, <laughs> Don't say that. We have our act together. We do. We just fly <laughs> by the seat of our pants, I think, which is It'll great. We really, and Veronica was just on. We appreciate um, all of our guests. And it's time and we, now for Lost in Science. See you all next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.